CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey there. The Ben Jarofsky Show is now live. But before we get going for your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, March 13th, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by unions and a bunch of them. These hardworking men and women were kind enough to get behind us in this online podcasting experience. So before we do anything else, we would like to thank the following unions for making this show possible. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8. Uh, we got the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Once again, thank you to all of those unions for jumping on board with us. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. With that said, Benny J, you ready to start? Yes, sir. All right. The Ben Jarofsky Show begins now. It is Wednesday, March 13th, and live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Time Studios on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome Sun-Times writer Tom McNamee. We welcome new alderman. Ben, what's her name again? Haddon? Maria Haddon. Maria Haddon. Sorry about that. And... Former 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate, Amara Inya. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Great Minds Think Alike Wednesday. And here's why. So yesterday, Dr. D and I, another doctor, we're talking about how much Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot have in common. Two black women left to center of ideologies, more or less... But not real radicals weren't really on the front lines during the last 10 years when all the fighting went on. Standing up to Rom, that is, that fighting. Sort of mainstream types, more or less. And then I opened the Tribune. Yes, I read the Tribune. I subscribe to it, get it every day. Get out of here. You work at the Sun-Times now. Get! (laughs) Hey, I'm holding up. Hey, Trib! Some of you tripsters just start subscribing to the Sun Times. Listen, you know, a parody there. I've been subscribing to the Tribune forever. Pay half your salaries. Anyway, what do I see? Columnist Eric Zorns weighs in on how there's no real difference between Lori and Tony. Now, I'm not saying Eric got the ideas from us, D, but I'm just saying great minds think alike. Let me pause to give a shout out to the best part of Eric's column where he likened Lori and Tony's followers to the um, oh, the members of the People's Front of Judea expressing consume hatred for the Judean People's Front from the life of Brian. A, ficti- a, fict- a fictitious schism that the early days of the Lightfoot Preckwinkle battle called to mind. Yes, Life of Brian, one of my favorite songs. Do you now sing the song, please? Always look on the bright side of life. And that'll be the singing <laughs> portion of today's program. No singing. 
Anyway, the point is, since there's not much difference between Tony and Lori, their supporters are bending over backward to heighten whatever differences they can find. In fact, I'd say that watching the supporters bend over backwards is one of the most entertaining aspects of this campaign. Let's see, the refrain from Tony's people about Lori, she's a cop, on account of the fact that she was a federal prosecutor, and that means she will, what, automatically lock up all black people? Forgetting that it was Lori who broke from Rahm on the issue of police brutality and had the guts to run against him in the first place? Not that Tony's people are alone in playing this game of creating a distortion of her opponent. A day doesn't pass when I don't hear from some one of Lori Lightfoot's uh, supporters telling me she's a machine hack. Even though Tony Preco got her start running against Tim Evans, an entrenched machine alderman in the fourth ward, and even though Tony was one of the few aldermen in the 90s and the O's who had the guts to occasionally vote against Mayor Daley, and even though Tony also was one of the few aldermen, so there were just five, who voted against Daley's parking meter deal. The challenge for both of these campaigns is that they're clearly having trouble giving a people a reason to vote for their candidates. And as a result, they're trying to give people a vote, a reason to vote against the other one. We got a great show today, everybody. Tom McNamee, editorial board Chief. Tommy Mack, Tommy Mack. Tom Mack, chief of the editorial board, will be in the studio. He's written some great editorials lately. This is one of my favorite. Trump's latest assault on fr- American free speech. Do you know I love talking free speech issues? Also has the latest uh, editorial about Pritzker's tax plan. You know, we haven't really talked Pritzker's tax plan. We've been so obsessed and focused on the Chicago mayoral race. We've kind of lost sight of JB. Indeed gonna, we have. <laughs> How could you lose sight of Governor Pritzker, huh? Oh, oh that's weird. <laughs> Not a perfect person. Uh-huh, there we go. I love that there clip. Anyway, uh, J.B. Pritzker is one of... Uh, we're going to bring up some J.B. Pritzker on next week. Uh, J.B. Pritzker aides to talk about his uh, budget proposals. But uh, Tommy McNamee will be here talking about it as well. And maybe get a, a comment or two in on what he thinks about uh, Eric Zorn's column uh, in the Tribune. So lots of good talk with Tom McNamee. And then on the two o'clock hour, the newly elected alderwoman from the 49th Ward, Maria Haddon, she defeated Joe Moore. What a triumphant uh, victory uh, moment that was in 49th Ward politics. She did it without a runoff. It was a strong showing by a new voice for Chicago progressives. Looking forward to have Maria in the studio. And coincidentally, today's the day with the city council. As we speak, it's probably going on right now, are going to have votes on some of the monumentally dumb ideas that Mayor Rahm come up with as he heads down uh, the stretch to leave office. One at the top of the list being Lincoln Yards, where they're just going to take a big, dig, dig a big hole, folks, and bury a $1.3 billion of your tax dollars. And I think the police academy is coming up as well. Get Maria Haddon's thoughts on what the council can do differently, differently in the future, uh, how they can uh, find a little reform and progressivity uh, in their hearts. So looking forward to talking to Maria Haddon and... Definitely looking forward to talking to Amara Enya, an old friend of this show. Amara, of course, uh, ran for mayor in the first round. Got a lot of bold, progressive ideas. Was supported by Chance the Rapper in many cases. She's part of the sort of the same progressive movement uh, that elected Maria had. In fact, they're good friends. There may be some overlap. Hey, maybe they'll stick around and uh, we, we can do one of those things where everybody's right. talking. I'll bust out the hacky sack. <laughs> we'll get going. Bust out the hacky sack. So we'll see what Amara Enya has to say about the mayor's race as well. So a lot of good stuff ahead. A lot of politics, 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 and politics. But before, before we do any of that, the doctor with the news. 
I'm J.B. Pritzker, and I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> there we go. All right, it's the middle of, the, of a rainy day here in Chicago. Is it raining? Yeah, it was, it's been kind of rainy, you know what I mean? Rain it, earlier okay, today, it's just right. rainy, you know rainy what I mean? Rainy days, Mondays. Okay. All right, sorry. All right, before we get going, oh, hey, Alderman Maria Haddon, my apologies. I forgot your name in our intro. I realized I didn't write the script uh, when we got going there. My apologies, Maria Haddon. Please still come on the program. Don't be turning around as we speak. Okay. Uh, let's catch up on the national news happening this afternoon. The March Manafort madness rolls on, Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> okay. Today was round two uh -huh. of our president's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, versus the District of Columbia. Round one, yeah, I'd say it went to D.C. Last week, Manafort was sentenced to 47 months in prison, a.k.a. three years and 11 months for financial fraud convictions. Today's sentencing was for two charges, count them two, and both uh, nothing to sneeze at, Ben. Con conspiracy against the U.S. and conspiracy to obstruct justice for attempting to tamper with witnesses. And uh, who I'm sure is now Paul Manafort's least favorite judge. <laughs> Judge Amy Berman Jackson. Uh, Judge Jackson has sentenced Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's former campaign manager, to three and a half years in prison. And adding to last week's sentence of 47 months, that brings Manafort's total to seven and a half years in prison. Yes. All right. Now, this is very confusing. Now, but I'm going to try to lead you uh, through this one, uh, folks, and uh, use my experience of digging through the muck and the murk of Chicago TIF deals, which are also very confusing. That will help prepare me for what I'm about to do. What's confusing is that there were two separate sentencing judges. Why this is the case, why there were two s separate sentencing judges I'm not quite sure. We'll have to do that deep dive later. Maybe McNamee knows. He knows everything. Well, ask Tom McNamee. Why were there two separate sentencing judges? Anyway, where's Jim Coogan when we need him uh, to explain why there were two separate sentencing judges? Jim, uh, Turn, uh, Jim Coogan, ace attorney. Ace attorney, Jim Coogan. Yes. Uh, judge T.S. Ellis III was the first sentencing judge, and he's from Virginia, and he's the one who gave Manafort 47 months in the clink. That was about a week or two ago, I think. That's when that sentencing went down. 47 months. Everybody was outraged because 47 months was hardly any time at all, relatively speaking. Uh, and so they were looking forward to the second sentencing judge, and that's Judge Amy Berman, who has a reputation for being kind of tough. Uh, she's the judge who sentenced... Uh, uh, Jesse Jackson Jr., Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr., I believe she gave Jackson, I'm doing this off the top of my head, 30 months in prison. Uh, there's a lot of controversy over that one because Aaron Schock, a congressman from Peoria, didn't get any uh, time in prison, and even though he and Jackson kind of were accused of the same thing, so it makes people wonder, what's the difference with this sentencing going on here? Anyway, um, so uh, Judge Berman uh, Jackson uh, gave added 73 months to the sentencing of 47 months that Judge Ellis had already given Manafort. All right, so you got that, everybody? 47 months from Ellis, 73 months from Jackson equals 120 okay. uh, months. Oh, All right. Yeah, it does. Now, what I don't understand is why they just do it by months. It makes it even more. I think they're trying to cover up the fact that they're not being as harsh on, uh, the, on Manafort as they would be for, say, if his name was Jesse Jackson Jr. Anyway, so uh, they gave 120 months. So if you do the math, and uh, Dr. D went to radio school. He's excellent at math. Oh, yeah. You'll know That's why that I went. <laughs> there's 12 months in a year and 120 months total. Uh, that would be 10 years in jail. So then you're asking, well, wait a minute. 
How come it's seven and a half years total, not ten? Welcome to our show prep for today, by the way, guys. It's all, all the time spent was on this. And that's because 30 of the months are to be served concurrently. So you take 30 from 120, you get 90. And what's 90 divided by 12? Uh, See why two. I didn't get that intro done? My God. <laughs> seven and a half years for Manafort, which I still think is lenient. All right? If his name was Jackson, I think he would have gotten a lot more uh, than seven and a half months. And that's just me, as they say. Uh, but uh, seven and a half months, so that's how it's all done. Two separate judges. Uh, one one of the sentences partly served concurrently with the other sentence. And uh, so anyway, Manafort's lawyers are crying. It's too harsh. They're saying, you know, if, uh, uh, if they weren't, uh, if he hadn't been Trump's campaign manager, there wouldn't have been any sentence at all. There wouldn't be any prosecution, et cetera. He's a political victim. Please. This guy has been stealing money and conning people for years. I say he he has earned every month in the clink. Too harsh? Too easy? Yeah, not sure. But we can all agree on this. What a horrible decision it was for this guy to be friends with Donald Trump. <laughs> well, you know, Michael Cohen has warned everybody, folks, it does not uh, end up well for people who befriend Donald John Trump. All right, so there you are. We'll try to keep you posted on that as today's program rolls along. We're going to get right into the local news here. Benny J., you ready to find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. Fantastic answer, because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. All right, can't wait, because this is where the doctor has that little trick that he plucks from his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. To advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Join the Chicago Sun-Times at one of our upcoming Hear Our Voice community forums and dive even deeper into Chicago politics. Yes, yes, yes. In conjunction with our partner AARP, these conversations are your chance to learn more about the future of Chicago. We've even invited mayoral candidates Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle to join us as active listeners attending the forums to better understand your opinions and hear your voice. Yes, they'll be listening to you. Instead of the other way around. The first forum. Me? <laughs> if you show up and talk, they'll listen to you, doctor. Whoa, okay. The first forum is guess when? Tonight. You're kidding. Nope. Tonight, Wednesday, March 13th from 7 to 9 All p.m. All right, I got to go. At <laughs> See you later. 
Good luck with the show. <laughs> he's out the door, everybody, because <laughs> he's going to the DeSable Museum of African American History. Wait, where is it? The DeSable Museum of African American History in Hyde Park. Oh! Well, okay. Uh, it's tonight at 7 o'clock from 7 to 9. I invite you to join this conversation with a great lineup of panelists, including the fantastic Mary Mitchell and Mark Brown from the Chicago Sun-Times, Rosanna Marquez from AARP, and Mays Jackson. Yes, the Mays Jackson. When you go there, tell Mays, hey, Mays, Ben says hi. From WVON AM is 1690. The second floor, and take this down, everybody, is Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 at the Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen. There's a second one. Where is it at again? I'm sorry. Uh, One more time. The Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen, Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. It features panelists Mark Brown and Carla Ballesteros from the Sun-Times, Rosanna Marquez from AARP, and Fernando Diaz from the Chicago Reporter. I know Fernando, too. Tell Fernando Ben says hi, all right? Best of all, the events, get ready for this, D. You'll like this. They're free. That's F-R-E-E. So you're saying I'm cheap. Yeah, free means you don't have to pay for it. Okay. For signups, go to (laughs) suntimes.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah, love this song. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, the doctor behind the board there spinning these great songs. Now he's going to put aside the board spinning and tell us what the local news is. Absolutely. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News 20. Is the magic number. We're just 20 days away from our 2019 Chicago runoff elections. Mm. And, you know, since we're turning here on this new podcasting platform, we have been trying our damnedest to keep you up to speed with the latest updates on the Chicago mayoral runoff between Cook County Board President and lover of antiques. <laughs> that's, that's right, guys. She loves antiques. Uh. Tony Preckwinkle and former Chicago Police Board President, as well as Lover of a musician uh, I've never heard of in my life. I had to look him up. Ben apparently loves him. Todd Rundgren. <laughs> it's a generational thing, D. Okay. Uh, Todd Rundgren was popular in a decade before you were born. That would be the 1970s. Okay. Mayoral candidate Lori Lightfoot, by the way. Uh, millennials Todd Rundgren, Bang the Drum All Day was his hit song. Okay. You guys okay. know that. All one. right. Just Can I just let's break in here for a while? Just interlude here. Okay. Uh, I believe that was his last hit song. So that was a hit when you were on this earth. So that's how millennials may have heard. Also, they play it at uh, sporting events. Yeah. Bang on the drum all day, which I never understood why they would play that song at a sporting event. I've heard it at so many Bulls games because basically the theme of the song is the guy's a stoner who does nothing more than just sit in his room smoking reefer and banging on his drum all day. So, like, how would that fire up a team? You want your team to be, you know, really aggressive and out there. I never understood why they would play that at a... Don't put that on your dating profile, by the way, if that's your thing. I just, you know, smoke weed and bang on that yeah, drum all day in my room. Yeah. All right, but uh, we have been watching this race like a hawk. And, Ben, we have yet to take the deep dive into how much campaign cash these two are carrying around. Oh, yeah. And who are the ones exactly throwing the cash around? So, Ben, let's do exactly that. People, it is time... For a 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. Let me, let me stop. finish. I listen let me just to you. Stop let right me here. finish. You criticized my law firm. Thing she you does, just took a donation she did from one of my partners the second thing two days ago. Everybody's going was, to get a chance to talk. <laughs> 
This is a 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. Conquistador. <laughs> Indeed it is. Time for a 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. Let's see who's making what in the mayoral runoff here. Now, at one point, when there were 14 candidates in the race, Brother Bill, Baby Baby Daily, Bill Daly, was our top cash getter. But now... That he's out, thank God. Our new leader in campaign contributions is the Cook County Board President herself, Tony Preckwinkle. Now, we will take a look at Tony's totals in moments. But first, Ben Jarofsky, I got to pick that rain <laughs> chock full of absurd political information yeah. of yours. Now, because we just witnessed the candidate with the most money become our new governor, yeah. J.B. Pritzker, in your mind, does having the uh, most amount of money give Tony Preckwinkle a leg up in the last 20 days of this election? Uh, yes, it's, a, it's definitely an advantage. She can air more commercials. And um, since we've moved away from this old system of government where we are the system campaigning, which uh, was be- goes back to the days when Todd Rundgren had hits, when you have precinct captains going door to door, knocking, hey, come on out and vote for a guy, put a sign up, et cetera, et cetera. Now we, you know, we communicate with one of each other uh, over the airwaves. So, uh, yes, TV commercials are very important. Flyers in the mail, as we know, are very important as well. Or I don't know if they're that important, but uh, they uh, they have a way of sort of um, branding your opponent with a reputation that, in this case, she would not want. So, yes, it would be an advantage for Tony. But because there's only 20 days or so, uh, there's not a lot of time. I don't, I don't think it's as much of an advantage as J.B. Pritzker had back in the gubernatorial race. If you remember, D, he was airing commercials for like a year, wasn't it? I mean, it just seemed like forever. He took a little break after he won the primary. Remember that? And he waited for Rauner to come in with his commercials. And as soon as Rauner came in with the commercial, bam, J.B. just flattened him. So uh, I guess the longer the period, uh, the greater the impact uh, commercials can have. Uh, but in this particular case, I got to tell you, Preckwinkle doesn't have that much money. Not like what Bill Daly had in the first go around, uh, thanks to Kenny G, Ken Griffin. So it is an advantage, but not that much of an advantage. All right. With that said, let's take a look at the numbers. In the recent weeks, the Preckwinkle campaign fund has grown quite a bit. Her latest contributions include $78,430 from the service employees local number one pack, which is which has an ownership stake in the Sun-Times, by the way. SEIU local one. All right. We got $49,970 from the Chicago Teachers Union pack mm-hmm. and $25,000 from the JMR Trust. All right. And let us not forget those hefty union contributions like the ones from SEIU, a little over $2 million there from SEIU to the Tony Preckwinkle campaign. So uh, let's go ahead and add all that together. Let me get uh, my little calculator here. Let's crunch the numbers here. All right, so carry the one. All right, look there. Okay. All right. Up top. All right. Okay. I think we got our total here with a total of $5.6 million. <laughs> Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, it sounds like Pink Floyd. Uh, that little jingle there yeah okay now 5.6 million but again a lot of that is union money uh that's coming from unions made a very calculated uh decision uh some of these unions in the first go around that they were going to get with tony now as much as i love unions in two unions paid dues to two separate unions i'm never quite sure what the advantage is i've had this discussion conversation on the record and off the record with union uh leaders what the advantages of jumping in early with the candidate? Follow me on this one, D. For instance, if you jump in on one candidate and uh, you're all in and that candidate lose, uh-oh, you 
got the other one there. Uh, then if you jump in with the one candidate um, and the candidate uh, wins, then there's this higher expectations. Uh, you're going to get something advantageous to your constituents, uh, to your dues-paying members for your alliance. And then generally you're going to be disappointed. And then your um, dues-paying, alliance, dues-paying members are going to say, hey, why'd you spend our dues money or, or uh, donating money to this particular candidate? They sold us out. So it's kind of a tricky little balancing game there that's been going on forever. I, I remember this debate going back to the 80s when uh, unions uh, kicked in behind Walter Mondale in 1984 to defeat Ronald Reagan. And I never quite understood. I was always more cautious. Hey, you know, why don't you hold, hold off, see who wins, and then deal with the reality on the ground. But you know what? Uh, and when it comes to unions, I'm a member of a union. But they don't put me in charge of the union, so uh, those decisions <laughs> are left to other people. All right, so there you go. Tony Preckwinkle with $5.6 million mm-hmm. in campaign cash. Uh, by the way, if she wins, she better throw a wicked party, all that money, all right? <laughs> On to our next candidate, Lori Lightfoot. First, it should be noted that while there's no money involved in this announcement here, another former mayoral candidate has decided who they're going to vote for in the runoff. That's right. Former mayoral candidate Paul Vallis appeared on WGN radio yesterday and let it be known that he's supporting Lori Lightfoot. I did not know that. I, I mean, something well, new every day, buddy. You know, I just saw him last week. You're kidding. He was playing the cards close to his vest. Ben, I haven't made my mind up yet. <laughs> Here's the quote from Paul Vallis. Quote, knowing Lori and having participated in over 30 forums with her, I believe she has the skills, judgment, and courage needed to stand up to the special interests and to make the critical decisions needed as mayor. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about with special interests, but let's put that to his side. Uh, one of the things Fallis did say to me, uh, and he said this throughout the campaign, he had respect for the people who jumped in the race while Rom was still officially running. What do you call them? Oh, the original gangsters. And I have respect for them as well because it took a certain amount of guts to stand up to Rom. And uh, I think a lot of those candidates, those candidates had a big role in Rom deciding uh, that he wasn't going to seek a reelection. Obviously, the numbers that uh, his in, inside pollsters were showing him. Uh, showed that it would be a difficult run for him. Anyway, so I, that may have something to do with the fact that Paul Vallis ended up going uh, with Lori Lightfoot as well. All right, so let's look at the numbers here for Lori Lightfoot. The following comes from Illinois Politico. Shout out to Illinois Politico. Uh, Lightfoot picked up a combined $100,000 just in the last week here. Uh, Rocky Wirtz's 35L Sportsman LLC Distillers Distributing Company, Foreman Realty Group, and Sock Development, they donated $25,000. Attorney Tom Demetrio donated $10,000. Ben. Familiar with Tom Demetrio? Yeah, Tom Demetrio. I'm not surprised. Tom Demetrio is a prominent personal injury lawyer here in the city of Chicago. His former partner, uh, Philip Corboy, uh, follow me in this, folks, uh, was married to Mary Dempsey, who is a mentor uh, to Lori Lightfoot. No notes, by the way. No notes. This guy. Okay. My Lord. Uh, and so I'm not surprised. Mary Dempsey, who used to be the library commissioner during the days of Mayor Daley, uh, I had a few run-ins with Mary, but we all we got along basically. Mary, you know that's true. Uh, and um, 
so she is a supporter of Lori Lightfoot, so I'm not surprised to see that Demetrio kicked in as well. It looks like Alderman Tom Tunney forked over $10,000. Ben, pop quiz, what ward is Tom Tunney? Come on, man, 44th Ward. And what restaurant does he own? No clue. Ann Sather's. We talked about that. Oh, What's oh, the specialty yeah. on the menu at Ann Sather's? Uh, omelets. Cinnamon buns. <laughs> man, those, wa- <laughs> those those voters in the 44th Ward, they've been voting for Tom Tunney for how many years, D? Like 20 years. I love the cinnamon buns. <laughs> They'll do anything for a cinnamon bun in the 44th Ward. Listen, Tom, I wrote about this about a week ago. Tom Tunney, I wrote this. Is the, he is the luckiest alderman in the Chicago City Council. The Wrigley Field in his ward uh, is in his ward, and the Ricketts hate him. The Ricketts, of course, own the Cubs. And so in people's minds, if the Ricketts are against Tom Tunney, they, they, that's that means Tony's doing something well. The Sun-Times endorsed him. The Tribune endorsed him. I think he got 50-something percent of the vote, and he won going away. So he's the luckiest alderman uh, in the world. And I guess he's feeling so lucky he's going to kick some money over to Lori Lightfoot. We got Eric Lefkowski's Willie Family LLC donating $5,000 to the Lori Lightfoot for Mayor campaign. We have a donation from Exelon CEO Chris Crane, $5,000 from Exelon Senior VP William Van Hone Jr., $5,000 from ComEd CEO Joseph Joseph Domininguez, Uh, $5,000 from art collector and activist Susan Manilow. Do you have any uh, Susan Manilow pieces at your house? Yeah, Susan Manilow. I know Susan. I met Susan Manilow many. In fact... Susan Manilow is the mother, the man who used to own the Bright One. Oh. She is Edwin Eisendrath's mother, all right? And she's been very active in Illinois politics for years and years and years in the Lincoln Park area. And I'm not surprised that Tunney and uh, Susan Manilow would be kicking in to Lori Lightfoot's campaign. Lori Lightfoot is exceedingly popular in the North Lakefront. So Lakefront liberals, whatever, however few of them there are left, uh, have... Uh, Sided with Lori Lightfoot, so I'm not surprised to see Susan Manilow going that way. And if you ever go to Ben Jarofsky's home, you'll see an excellent Susan Manilow piece just right above <laughs> his fireplace. Wait, just so you know, Susan Manilow is is not an artist. She collects art. Oh, art collector. <laughs> oh. Yeah, she's <laughs> art collector. Yeah, you're not going to see any Susan Manilow pieces in my house. No. I don't even know if she's ever made any art. And we got $5,000 from attorney Stephen Patton, who previously served as legal advisor to Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Oh, you might want to kick that money back. I don't know. All right. So based on all of those, uh, she for, okay, well, let's hear. We now let us not forget the hefty donations, like $100,000 from attorney Leslie Bloom Mm -hmm. and the one she gave herself $50,000 from herself, former attorney Lori Lightfoot. All right. So add that all up and let me Get my calculator out again here. All right, let me add it up here. All right, got a thousand there. Carry to one. All right, top there. Oh, minus three. Okay, here we go. I think I got the total. Two million dollars. Yeah, raised thus far from Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> here's the situation, folks. As you can see, the union money is with uh, Tony Preckwinkle. The money of people who own the companies that unions might be negotiating with is going to Lori Lightfoot. Now, that money was not going to Lori Lightfoot in the first round. Corporate Chicago's first choice was Bill Daly. So clearly, Corporate Chicago is rallying around Lori Lightfoot in the hopes what? That's what you have to ask, listeners out there. What is Lori, what pressures is she going to be facing? Now, this question always gets put to the candidate supported by Labor D. Whenever you have a candidate who let's say is supported by my beloved Chicago Teachers Union, all right? They're going to say, here's the question the reporter asks. 
Will you have the guts, candidate fill in the blank? Oh, I hope they ask it like that, too. <laughs> to say no to the Chicago Teachers Union. They love saying, say no to teachers. You know, uh, But the question I don't think is really ever asked of the candidate who gets the business community's money. You know, will you have the guts to say no to the business community? And one big issue right now that just typifies this is Lincoln Yards, yeah, where yeah. the business community of Chicago, the Chicago Tribune, they're all rallying around giving $1.3 billion of your property tax dollars to a developer to build Lincoln Yards, upscale housing, upscale complex in a gentrifying neighborhood. I know there are many more pressing needs in the city of Chicago than that one. So the question uh, you have to ask Lori Lightfoot, and I will be putting that question to Lori Lightfoot myself. She'll be sitting right here on Friday. She'll be in the studio. Will you have the guts to say no to the corporate community? Actually, Lori Lightfoot is already on the record as saying she's opposed to the Lincoln Yard deal. But um, in light of the money coming into her campaign, I've got to make sure uh, that she's not going to... Um, sort of divert from that path. And Tony Preckwinkle, as I said earlier in the show, a day doesn't pass where Tony Preckwinkle's people, someone doesn't call me, see, Ben? See? Lori's getting money from fill-in-the-blank rich guy. See? Told ya. Told ya. So uh, that's sort of the symbolic uh, backdrop to uh, campaign contributions. So $2 million for mayoral candidate Lori Lightfoot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Watch out. Oh, look at that money flying in there. All right, and also a big endorsement day for Lori Lightfoot. She got more union support, and who knows? Maybe these uh, guys and gals are huge Todd Rudgert fans. I don't know. <laughs> the Plumbers Local 130 and Father Michael Flager endorsed Lightfoot. Father Flager? I missed that. Yeah. Father Flager endorsed yeah. Lightfoot? Father Flager here. When and, did uh, that happen? I mean, you got to keep up on this news, Ben. <laughs> I missed the Father Flager endorsement. All right, the union support of uh, the Plumbers Local 130 came after Local 130 boss said he felt, quote, dissed. By Tony Preckwinkle. Dissed. Dissed. Wow. For more on that, check CBS2 Chicago's mm. website. But just like that, you are now in the know of what is going on in Chicago. Thanks to that 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. Let me, let me just finish. I listened to you. Let me just stop right here. Let me right finish. You criticized my law firm. Second thing she you does, just took a donation she did from one of my partners two days ago. Everybody's was, going was, to get a chance to talk. <laughs> This is a 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. <laughs> and now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? You know, that bit where they're fighting and Carol Marine steps in and goes, everybody's got a chance. Reminds me of the bit from Cinderella. Yeah, the movie Cinderella where the stepsisters are fighting and the mother goes, girls, girls. Anyway, one of my favorite movies, Cinderella. Anyway, I just want to tell you something. What? All right. I want to tell you something that William Macy, Whoa. who's on the front page of my beloved Sun-Times, William Macy, of course, the actor in Shameless, who's now up to his eyeballs in trouble because apparently well, if you don't have the wife, H, you can't. It's you don't even recognize him. That's crazy. William H Macy, right? That is correct. William go. H Macy uh, up to his eyeballs in trouble because apparently he and his wife or allegedly were paying off uh, some sleazoid to get their kid in college. Oh, brother, come on, William. What were you thinking? Anyway, William Macy thinks this. Kyle Macy used to play basketball for my beloved Chicago Bulls. Okay. And Kyle Casey, a kid in my daughter's sixth grade class. They all agree. Hey, you Kyle. did a great job. By the way, Kyle uh, is mixed martial art fighter now. Very tough guy. Be nice to Kyle, okay? Uh, they all agree. Don't beat me up, Kyle. <laughs> you did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We'll be right back.
Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. <laughs> Benny J, take it away. All right, will do. Tom McNamee is in the studio uh, on the editorial board of the Chicago Sun. Tom McNamee, the pride and joy of Bogan High School on the southwest yes, side of Chicago. Yes, that's right. How did you know that? <laughs> I just know things about you, Tom. He's that... weird. <laughs> By the way, Bogan, your alma mater did very well in basketball this year, but they were unfortunately were defeated. They they did not make it to the semifinals or whatever we are now in the state tournament, so I just thought I'd break yeah, the news Yeah, I never follow that. I, I have no idea. All I know is that when I went to Bogan, in high school, and this gets into also also the social issues, Ben. We can talk about sometime. But when I went to Bogan High School, it was the last all white school in Chicago, all last all white public high school in Chicago, and um, and frankly, they were crummy at sports. Maybe because they didn't <laughs> let diversity come in the door. Yeah, and and now it's a great you know, and it also it, I, there's a whole history there about how it became desegregated. We'll talk about that. Well, you know, uh, you and I are the same age. I don't know if you realize that. And uh, when I moved, you were born and raised in Chicago. I'm a transplant. I did not grow up in Chicago. I'm not from Chicago. But when I first arrived here, the Bogan Broads Mm -hmm. were this force. And and for our millennial listeners, our younger listeners, the Bogan Broads were uh, women from the area in the southwest side whose children went to Bogan High School. And they were determined uh, to keep Bogan a white school. They were determined yeah, to prevent right. the Board of Education from integrating Bogan. And they called them. I'm not saying something derogatory. They called themselves the Bogan Broads. Yeah, that's the, they called themselves the Bogan Broads, and they did some strange things. So one of the things they did was there was a, um, there was a production of a musical, uh, The Sound of Music, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was a, bunch, a musical with a bunch of nuns. In the, in, that would be know, The Sound of Music. Yeah, Sound of Music. And the Bogan Broads actually got the costumes from The Sound of Music and put them on. And on a Monday morning when a busload of kids showed up at Stevenson High School, which was Stevens Grammar School, which is a feeder school to Bogan, when the kids, the minority kids, the black kids on the bus pulled up, a bunch of nuns were out there with signs and screaming at them and saying all kinds of racial crap. And uh, 
Wow. A bunch of nuns. And, and it turned out they were a bunch of Bogan broads yeah. who were dressed up as nuns to stand outside there and heckle black kids. Yeah. That was my welcome to Chicago, by the way, Tom. <laughs> Bogan broads dressed up as nuns screaming at black kids. Uh, it's like, what kind of, what city have I decided to live in? Anyway, it's not as bad. Although as... in many ways it was also, a, it was a fantastic school, I have to tell you, in terms of academics. It was, by Chicago Public School standards, it was good. We had some great teachers. Well, you know what, I'm, okay. And, and you know what, and they're very thoughtful, progressive yeah. people. As you well know, the world can't be defined by just you know, the worst of things. That is well put, Tom McNamee. All right, let's move on from Bogan uh, High School and talk about some of the editorials that you've written lately. And this is one that addresses um, one of my favorite topics, and that has to do with sort of the shifting interpretation of what should be allowed uh, with free speech in America. Uh, this is an editorial I urge everybody to read. It's from Friday, March 8th, 2019. And as soon as I read it, I took it out of my newspaper and saved it because I knew Tom was coming on the show. This is one of my favorite themes, uh, Tom, because I'm always pointing out how conservatives, when it comes to the First Amendment, they want First Amendment free speech right for themselves to, to insult other people who are not a part of their coalition. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what other people do that they find offensive, they want them to be punished. So, for instance, uh, Donald Trump gave a speech a couple weeks ago, was it, at a conservative group where he said that CPAC, thing, CPAC yeah. where that universities should not be allowed uh, to dictate to students what they can and cannot say. This is the same Donald Trump who felt that Colin Kaepernick should be punished for taking a knee, that he should not be allowed to play football. And he was calling on the mem- the leaders of the NFL. So it's like a double standard. Yeah, and- what he was saying, what Trump was saying is that he, a lot of conservatives argue right now that campuses around the country are not tolerant of conservative free speech. That when a, a student group will invite a conservative on campus to be a speaker, then there's a big uprising and people say that person should not be allowed to speak on campus. And Trump is saying that's just all wrong. Now, I happen to agree with Trump on that, by the way, in that respect. I agree that it's all wrong to stop those people from speaking. I do agree with that. Well, I I agree. agree I'm a big believer in... uh a free expression as well. Right. Free speech. I mean, we both have but, spent our lives with but here's newspapers. here's the key thing, yeah, Ben, and this is go. the key part of that, okay, part of the Trump thing. What he wanted, he wasn't just expressing what I would express, which is that campuses have to be open to all sorts of views and they have to bend over backward. He was arguing that government funding yeah. should be withheld from universities that don't have a sufficient array of free speech. So who's deciding now what free speech is acceptable and what's not? The federal government, because they decide whether or not you're allowing enough free speech that they'll, they'll, they'll continue with the federal funding. Yeah. Now that's just flat out censorship. Well, and I also feel he'd be the first to deny federal funding for a program that would allow, let's say, Angela Davis sure. to speak, you know, who Angela Davis, of course, yeah, is about right. communist. Yeah, and absolutely. this is the without point. Without a doubt. Without a, so this is where the utter hypocrisy is. But it's hypocrisy that cuts both ways. But we'll just deal with what you wrote. And this is from a Tom McNamee written editorial from February, excuse me, March 8th. Uh, the common denominator is obvious. Trump is out to help Trump, as always. He could not care less about higher ideals, such as those protected by the First Amendment. Trump opposes free speech that works against him and favors free speech that works for him. And most of all, he wants to stir up his MAGA hat fans, or at least those who slept through civics class. Pretty good line. Uh, I may have been one of those guys sleeping. In some, but I woke up soon thereafter, Tom, back to me. All right, so uh, go a little further into your point there, uh, 
when you say that uh, Donald Trump is only for free speech for himself. Well, you know, I think that's an important thing to remember that anything comes from Donald Trump is just a bad source of an argument on anything, mm-hmm. because in every case, Donald Trump will argue whatever serves his immediate purposes. So if you want to have a good, thoughtful conversation about free speech and whether or not it's being respected in this country, you don't start with Donald Trump's point of view, because it doesn't come from an intellectually honest place. Mm-hmm. It's all about him. It's not about the larger issues. And you know, one of my jobs on an editorial page is to try to be honest about these larger issues. So... So you have Donald Trump arguing that there's not enough conservative free speech on campus. I don't know if that's true or not, but given his motivations, you don't know. On the other hand, um, he will argue this Saturday Night Live and maybe even CNN that there should be some sort of repercussions when they criticize him. So they should limit free speech there. So he wants to make sure there's plenty of free speech of the sort that is complimentary to him or helpful to him. And he wants to limit free speech, even in shows like Saturday Night yeah. Live, when they mock him. Yeah. And 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 you know, in the same thing with uh, the quarterback Kaepernick, he he wants to limit that Colin guy's Kaepernick. free speech. Yeah. Now that's actually a private enterprise. NFL can do what they want, but. Well, no, but he's the uh, president of the United yeah, States. It has great influence. Uh, his great influence, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's and he was hurting the. Well, they were afraid that when he turned against them, he was hurting the ratings, so he's right. putting public pressure on them. Right. Now it's a slippery slope across the board, uh, Tom. I don't believe the current conservatives are the ones who just struggle with this, and I'm I'm going to be hesitant. I I like to call out uh, conservatives as being hypocrites because they're so loud about how they believe people who insult blacks uh, and um, uh, women should have the freedom to insult blacks and women uh, because that's what America's all about. Right. But, you know, when, when, when they feel as though something that's important to them is uh, being defiled or mocked, then they're saying, hey, like in the case of religion. Like if you if you say anything insulting about someone's religion, that's considered, you know, just like crossing a line that can be crossed. Yeah, beyond the pale. And we saw this uh, just recently, of course, uh, with uh, the fear that uh, resulted when Congresswoman Omar uh, tweeted out uh, some uh, questionably uh, questionable tweets about Jews uh, or Israel, I should say, that many people felt was anti-Semitic. Immediately, the right said, let's condemn her. How dare she do it? I didn't see anybody from the right standing up to, you know, Congresswoman Omar has the right to yeah. say. So, and at the same time, uh, people on the left who criticize Trump because, you know, he won't be sensitive to the, the cares and the right. needs of uh, blacks or women, et cetera, were saying, well, she has a First Amendment right. Yeah, uh, see, and I think you're getting to the thing that I find most interesting. It's easy for me to tell you, to say why I think Trump is wrong, conservatives are wrong. That's self-evident to me. It also comes from a guy who runs an editorial page as, you know, left of center. We're not, so people expect that. I think you make more of a point with people when you argue the other side in, in a way that others don't expect. So, for instance, yeah, Trump is all wrong, but I think it's very important to point out that the left can be guilty of this too. It's so important. If you don't point that out, then you're, then you're just preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. And part of my job in an editorial page, I talk about this all the time with my colleagues, is I'm not really interested in preaching to the choir. I'm interested in, yes, 
talking to the people who may all agree with us, but also the people who may be somewhere on the fence. They're, they're in the middle, and they're open to an argument, you know? They're open to an argument. Frankly, the Lori Lightfoot editorial we wrote, I think the reason that was successful is because we were talking to people who nobody knew what they thought about this mayoral race. They were open to it. And the same thing goes on here. I'd much rather point out as a way of trying to get people to get off their extreme positions, to get out of their corners, Mm -hmm. fighting corners, that's also a problem on the left. You see this all the time at the University of Chicago campus, where they do have conservative speakers. Steve Bannon, for instance, you know, Trump's advisor, Mm -hmm. he was on campus and a bunch of people came out and protested he should not be allowed to speak. A thousand former students signed a letter saying it's outrageous that Steve Bannon can speak on campus. And my view was he was invited by a student group. He's not Adolf Hitler, all right? He's not, he's not someone I admire, but, he's, but if you believe in free speech, you have to accept him speaking on campus just the way Trump has to accept Saturday Night Live making fun of him. Mm-hmm. That's free speech. Well, free speech is also the students rallying against him. Right, and absolutely. And it's all part of speech. So if uh, Bannon says something offensive, which he says all the time, if his worldview, um, you, people you find intolerant, uh, then you you owe it to yourself to speak out against yeah, him. Absolutely. So it's all part of the process. I think what the what the the right has effectively done as a political movement, even though it's I don't believe it's sincere, is when they see the students say, "Don't let this guy speak." They say he they're intolerant. You get what I'm saying? Uh, well, and to the extent they say, "Don't let this guy speak," they are being an intolerant. But, I mean, that is just a fact. Uh, but they don't usually block him from actually speaking. No, only because it. only because guys like Robert Zimmer, the president of the University of Chicago, puts his foot down and says, we don't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing, and by the way, I say this carefully because I actually have uh, relatives who disagree with me on this, but, you know, Zimmer also came out and said he has no, no uh, patience with uh, trigger warnings in the classroom. Yeah, he has no patience with safe rooms. So if there's a discussion that's upsetting you, you go to a safe room, and and those are that's an extreme way to put it. I can I can I can see a professor kind of say, hey, this is a sensitive topic. I'm just going to tell you, but mm-hmm. you know, as an informal thing, I can see someone saying, you know, this is make me uncomfortable. I'm going to take a break. I need to leave the room. I yeah. get that. But what Zimmer was saying in a letter that the university put out under somebody else's name, yeah, was that. Really great conversation isn't always going to make you comfortable. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. It's going to you're going to hear things you don't agree with, things you don't like, and at this university, tough. Yeah, you just have to live with it. I would buy that. Yeah, as across the board from Zimmer and uh, the people who run the University of Chicago, if I saw it clearly across the board, if I saw people allowed to come out and speak about things that would make him uncomfortable let's say like the tiff deal that the university of chicago got for 53rd street oh, i think he and, would uh, <laughs> you think bob zimmer would stop people from protesting tiff deals at the university of chicago i do not believe he not would walk second i do not wait well, you know what this is a good debate this is a good subject for not a bet for, not for a second I, if you called up bob zimmer and said we want to have a protest on campus to protest tax subsidies to the university of chicago tiffs or whatever else he would say is it sponsored by a student group? Do you have some? Because you know, all of anything that's a formal thing, and they would say yes. The uh, the, the the crazy Ben Jarovsky Liberal Association wants to have this protest, and oh, it sounds a like a good group. <laughs> and, and you know what? 
they would say yes. I, I do not believe that. You and don't furthermore, believe that? I do oh. not believe that. Not only like that, I wouldn't. I don't believe the guy would return my call. But that's a well, subject. That, he, I don't think he'd return your call. <laughs> All right, there. I do Look, not think he'd return your call. So but it's if not he that he's get him on the phone. It's not that he's stif- stifling speech. Then he's ducking and dodging it. Uh, so I guess there's a <laughs> the subtle PR difference there. people get you back to you, and they pr- and if the student group was sponsoring this, absolutely that would be allowed, and it would be outrageous if it were not. And it, it doesn't. Not for a second would it not be allowed. All right, that's Tom McNamee. I'm Ben Jaroski. We obviously don't agree on absolutely everything, but that's okay. We'll be right back. The Ben Jaroski Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, with me in the studio, Tom McNamee, uh, editorial writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. We got off on a long discussion of free speech as a result of uh, his column. Uh, it began with uh, his column, excuse me, column, editorial. What's the difference between an editorial and a column? Oh, come on, you know. <laughs> Actually, that's a great question we should put out there because not everybody does know. I know you do, but people don't. I'm not quite sure I know. Editorial <laughs> is not my view it's the view of the newspaper i see it's the view of the editorial board and the editorial board ultimately speaks for the publisher and the owners of the newspaper that's just a fact so years ago when uh michael farrell who then was the owner of the paper (laughs) decided we wanted to endorse bruce rauner Uh well that was his call he had a right to do that and if i didn't want to do that i could quit but um but ultimately, the editorial page represents the voice of the paper as a whole. And one of my jobs is every time you have a new owner, because owners keep coming and going around mm-hmm. here, is explain to them that, yeah, you can come in and you can turn the place upside down and have a different view of the world on the editorial page. Mm-hmm. But there's an institutional voice to the Sun-Times. We've always been the counter voice of the Chicago Tribune. Mm-hmm. We've always been a more, somewhat more progressive voice, not, not radically. And you, it really is important to respect that because part of what our newspaper is, is that voice. And, you know, from a business point of view, you're going to lose everybody if all of a sudden you just throw it out the window, what we've been all these years. And so... Um, well, you're uh, probably of the more liberal persuasion. Uh, not that, as liberal as you are. No. <laughs> <laughs> Very few are, young Thomas. I think Thomas. Bob Zimmer would be fine. <laughs> Not a, very few people are in that category. You must have felt some sense of like almost personal liberation uh, when the paper changed and was picked up by the unions because the people who own the paper, when you speak of the uh, the voice of the owner of the paper, it's more in line perhaps with your own personal yeah, views. Yeah, I think it's true. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Is it, in, in fairness, I think Michael Farrell and uh, the people he had running the place, Tim Knight, over the, who's at the Tribune now, 
I know they didn't always like everything we wrote. Mm-hmm. I heard that, and they got very annoyed by various things. Um, but they did not interfere greatly. The only time they really cared was like the Rauner thing. Oh, God. Thing. That was a but low point. As a rule, they understood that they had bought a paper that's not the Chicago Tribune or the Wall Street Journal, and they kind of respected that. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of getting the same thing now with the owners now. You know, a lot of the unions are have their money in the Sun-Times. And for the most part, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think they understand that the value of the paper to them is not to try to dictate what we think on this issue or that, but to just be a strong counter voice um, in the city for for more progressive values in general. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, speaking of which, uh, perhaps the Sun-Times editorial's greatest moment in recent history for Sun-Times editorial uh, occurred about, I want to say, a month ago. I've I've lost track of time, Tom. Uh, When you did a front page uh, editorial, at least the picture of Lori Lightfoot went on the front page with, uh, you know, a link to uh, the editorial endorsing her. Uh, at the time, I don't believe she had any major endorsements. She was not uh, considered all the uh, know-it-alls, myself included. I'm not that much of a know-it-all. We're saying it was going to come down to Preckwinkle uh, versus Daily. And uh, I believe that uh, the Sun-Times endorsement, the, not just the endorsement, but the way you went about the In fact, I took a picture of it. I still have it on my phone. The Thanks. picture of that uh of that paper of Lloyd Lightfoot, yeah, just front a full page, page uh, played a role. Uh, do you agree with me? Totally. Um, you know, I don't. I never talk about the internal workings of how we get to a decision on something, but I will tell you it wasn't unanimous, right? And um, but there was a strong feeling that Lloyd Lightfoot was well respected by us, by me, and by other people on the board um, because we knew her. You know, I mean, I I know Lori Lightfoot. enough to be able to have a sense of who she is. Over the years, I would actually call Lori or go to her offices and just ask her about some issue, usually involving the cops. So the idea was let's let's endorse Lori Lightfoot. We believe this woman's actually got the goods. She's she's solid. Um, And we actually, I think, if you'd asked me, I would say she's not going to win. She'll lose. And then when we have to choose between the people or in the runoff, we'll, that will make that decision then. But for now, let's just endorse a candidate who we actually think is what we need at this point. And so we did. And I wrote that editorial. Um, and I think the reason the editorial had an impact, and it did. What Before the editorial, Lori was running at about less than 3% in the polls, 2.8% or so by the latest poll. And within a week... Less than a week after that editorial came out, she was at 10%. Mm. It just, which is an enormous jump. And what happened, Ben, is not so much we're so brilliant and we convinced everybody. We introduced people to her. That's really the thing. It wasn't the arguments we made with them. It was a brilliant editorial. But what we did was we gave her credibility because she, nobody knew who she was. She wasn't taken seriously necessarily as a candidate, not a court, not, not against a Bill Daly or a Tony Preckwiggle. And when the Chicago Sun-Times comes out and says, you should take this, take a look at this woman, we introduced her. We opened the door, I think, for people who didn't even know who she was. And also, and this, again, is not about the editorial, but how it was played. You know, Chris Fusco's the editor, and he made a decision to make it the front page in this big way. And I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, if it had just been a like little blurb on the top of the yeah. front page, see page 47 endorsement, maybe not. But 
the, the way Chris put it on the front page, I think, had a big impact. It was yeah. like introducing her to the whole city. A lot yeah. of people didn't know who she was. Yeah, no, it went from 3% to 10%, and eventually uh, she was able to win. Uh, do you have any second thoughts now? Here we were, what are we, in uh, uh, a week and a half of the second round? Uh, and no, I don't. You're asking whether whether we second thoughts about whether we would endorse her mm-hmm. or, or basis. As a matter of fact, I, I feel as strong or stronger now that she would, the can, she's the right candidate to endorse. Um, I think she's handled herself well. I didn't like when she called uh, Tony Preckwick a liar. I, I think he kind of tried to avoid that kind of rhetoric, especially if you're if you're trying to be someone who's above that kind of nonsense. But not at all. I think she's. Uh, uh, she, we're going to endorse her again. We'll restate the endorsement within the next week or so. Well, now, this is an issue that has uh, just popped into my head. It's probably been uh, uh, in there for a while, but uh, we went through a rundown of the campaign contributions yeah. uh, that uh, Lori Lightfoot has received uh, since she was victorious, whenever that was, February 26, and moved into the second round. And a pattern has emerged, Tom. Uh, on one hand, Tony Preckwinkle uh, has a lot of union support. The CTU, SEIU supports her as well. Uh, to- uh, Lori Lightfoot is getting her support from sort of corporate Chicago, figures in corporate Chicago. And so that's setting up for... And you know why, right? Explain why. Because they think she's going to win. You know, people like that, they don't, they don't put their money behind people based on any high ideals. They're, they're just like Donald Trump. They'd sit around and they'd say, well, who's going to win? Because we want that person to be nice to us. And they think Lori's going to win. That's all that is. It's not because they agree with her in anything. They just think she's going to be the, the woman on a five. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's the cynical, streetwise voice of Bogan High speaking to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's Tommy McAmey from the southwest side of Chicago. I mean, the person they wanted to win was Bill Daly. Yeah. That's not happening. So, so they just shifted, huh? Okay, we've got two people we really don't want to do business with, but we're stuck. So they say to themselves, we have to get on a good side. So who's going to win? Okay. Let's put our money behind a person. All right. Well, let me ask you the question then that always gets, and I, I this question irritates me to no end, uh, when it's asked of Tony Preckwinkle or any candidate uh, supported by, as I always say, my beloved Chicago Teachers Union. It's like, can you stand up to the Chicago teacher? Will you stand up to those teachers? They always say teachers, like the teachers of vermin or something like that. I want to know... Lori Life, she'll be sitting right where you are on Friday, so I'll get to ask her that. Will you stand up to fill in the blanks, you know, these corporate muckety mucks who are pouring money into her coffers? Uh, do you think that's a legitimate question? I think it's a great question, and I think the answer is we don't know. But that's exactly what's wrong with our politics, is nobody is pure forever, Right. So Lori Lightfoot makes it through the first round, pure as pure as fallen <laughs> snow, right? She's taken no money from anybody yeah. of consequence. Because yeah, yeah, no, money here and there. Nobody wants to invest in her. And you. by some miraculous thing, yeah. she she manages to make the runoff. But now, once you're in the runoff, you need some kind of money because Tony's going to come at you good and strong with you know Tom Balanoff and SEIU and and uh, teachers union. And they've got the money and they're going to go after. Uh, Lori, and they're going to support Tony, which, by the way, is totally legitimate. I think, you know, I get that. I actually also get why they support Tony Preckwinkle. I have a lot of respect for her. So you're, but you're Lori, and you're saying, okay, I'm as pure as can be. I am not owned by anybody, but if I don't come up with a few bucks, Mm -hmm. I can't put my ads on the TV, and I can't win this thing. So our system requires that you take money from somebody. Mm -hmm. 
And unless everybody in, a, in this city kicks in 10 bucks a piece for her, that's where it's going to be. And yeah, and then when that happens, none of these people are doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because they're hoping down the road you'll remember. Now, some of this more blatant, blatant than others, you know, some giving money is more obvious than others. If you, if you get money from a developer in town, for mm-hmm. instance, somebody's trying to build, build a big building, uh, like in the 25th Ward, you know, or the 20th Ward, I think it is, then you're going to have a situation where it's so obviously what they're putting their money behind. But so the kind of people putting it behind Lori, I'm not sure that's as direct, what they hope to get out of it, other than someone who's who will have a, a listen to the business community. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to test uh, your idealism here. Uh, let's see what is prevails, that uh, cynicism from the southwest side or the idealism of a guy who writes editorials that are supposedly looking for a better way for the city of Chicago. Do you think we are finally at a moment in Chicago political history where we have Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot uh, running against each other to be mayor of the city of Chicago? We will have a, a fundamental break from the policies of the last 30-odd years with Daly and Rahm. I think it's almost like a seamless transition the way they ran government. Do you think we're going to see some significant change from the way politics has been run in this city? Or is your sense that it'll remain the same? Well, you know, uh, I think this is the best chance we've had in a generation. I think the last time we had a chance like this is with Harold Washington and, and Jane Byrne, who actually blew the opportunity. But Jane Byrne could have done it. Um, it's important to point out, though, that Jane Byrne was never a great reformer. She came out of the organization, so it was really never about that. So in many ways, the last time we ever had what you just described was Harold Washington. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the, it's the best chance in a generation, and I do think it matters which of these two people gets in, and I also think it matters the composition of the city council who gets in with respect to how whether that happens or not. Well, speaking of the composition of the city council, we have uh, coming up next as a guest, uh, Maria Haddon, who is newly elected alderman of the 49th Ward. Yeah, she, we did not endorse her, but... <laughs> she's, I don't think she's going to hold that against you right now. They're all in the same room, uh, and she has a big smile, Maria Haddon. And it's easy to smile when you're victorious. She ran a great race. You take down something like Joe Moore. That's quite impressive. All right, very good. Uh, Tom McNamee, Maria Haddon will be next. Tom, thanks for coming on. I hope to bring you on a lot uh, as the show goes on. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. All right, that's Tom McNamee, uh, editorial board. Are you the head of the editorial board? Yes, yeah. Head of the editorial board here at the Chicago Sun-Times. 49th, newly elected 49th Ward Alderman Maria Haddon is coming on deck. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. 
Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. everybody hour number two of your ben jarofsky show for wednesday march 13th is moments away but before we go any further we have to remind you that this ben jarofsky show is brought to you by unions yeah and a bunch of them all right these hard-working men and women were kind enough to get behind us in this online podcasting adventure so before we go into hour number two we would like to thank the following unions again for making this show possible first up the international association of machinists and aerospace not aerosmith work Workers, local 126 and District 8. Also, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, March 13th is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor. With that said, hour number two of the Ben Jarofsky show begins now. Yes, it is Wednesday, March 13th, and live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times Studios, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, newly elected 49th Ward Alderwoman Maria Haddon will join us, and its former mayoral candidate, Amara Inya. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Maria Haddon is in the studio, newly elected alderwoman of the 49th Ward. That's Rogers Park, ladies and gentlemen, the far north side of the city of Chicago, just south of that border with Evanston, just east of Lake Michigan, beautiful Rogers Park, 49th Ward. She uh, embodies all the things that could be new and different and unique about Chicago. As I'm sitting here, Maria Haddon, I get a text from uh, some, a friend of mine over at City Hall. The Chicago City Council and its infinite wisdom have just voted 33 to 15, I think, for the zoning aspect of the Lincoln Yard deal. So as all these progressives like Maria Haddon are trying to move us into, what is it, the 21st century? Yeah. Uh, these, these city council, come on, guys. $1.3 billion down the drain. Anyway, just had to get that news blurb out there, Maria. And now that I put that aside, we'll dive into that anyway. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I I view it before we get into the particulars of of who you are in your election. I view your win over Joe Moore, who is a close ally of Mayor Rahm, uh, as a sign that there people did want a new way of doing things, and they didn't want to do things like Lincoln Yard shower one point three billion dollars. Uh, do you see it the way I see it? Yeah, I, I do see it the way you see it, and it's definitely the feedback that I got from residents, not just from the election, but also based on our uh, conversations on doors, on phones, and all the volunteers who supported the campaign. People are ready for a Chicago City Council that prioritizes people and the neighborhoods 
over outside interest developers and the downtown. Mm. Well, the people may want that, but apparently the Chicago City Council has not heard the word. Uh, they're falling in line with Mayor Rahm uh, on that Lincoln Yard TIF deal. We'll talk more about it when the details come in. But Maria, let's uh, just do a little background. This is the first time you've been on my show. Uh, this is the first time you've run for office. Am I correct about that? That is correct. All right, tell folks a little bit about yourself. You're from Chicago originally? No, I'm not originally from Chicago. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I have lived in uh, Chicago, called it home for 15 years, and 12 of those have been in Rogers Park. I'm a graduate of the Ohio State University, and um, uh, interestingly enough, I was thinking about this today and preparing for the role. My my major in undergrad was international peace and conflict studies, and part of that work was doing like these 30-year studies of areas of protracted conflict and um, this this uh, love for kind of conflict mediation and addressing very large problems has been a persistent theme in my life, and I've been reflecting on that a lot and moving into this new role, especially looking at all the conflict that we see in City Hall today. Well, that's an interesting point because so much of what is required in the past of reformers or independents, which you're sort of of that ilk, is to directly confront the powers that be. You know you're going to lose going in, but you have to fight a good fight uh, just to keep the movement going. That's direct confrontation. It is conflict. Do you see a different way from your past studies that maybe uh, you can tame the beast, so to speak, with a different uh, approach? Um, your your last guest, so the, the last time I was here in this building was in front of the Sun-Times editorial board, and, and Tom McNamee uh, asked me if I would describe myself as a process person. And yes, is the answer. So it's one of the things that I talked a lot about in the campaign and that I think is important is not just the outcome, but the how we do things. And so much of the conflict, like even today, um, following on social media and, and through news channels, what's been happening at City Hall, it leaves me with a lot of tension Um, I'm actually pretty upset at a lot of the decisions that I'm seeing coming out of City Hall today because it's um, how we do things, how government works, how the people who are the leaders in our community make their decisions, not just the decision itself, is instructive for the culture of our city. And right now we're in a place where um, what reform looks like to me is changing the way the role of alderman is, um, bringing more legislative responsibilities to that role, and also setting examples and standards, uh, ethical standards, um, basic values and principle standards for the way government should be centering the people of Chicago. And so it, it's not a uh, not that conflict is bad. I think democracy, if it's working well and healthy, is full of conflict. Mm-hmm. It's full of dissent. And I would argue that the city council we have now, the mayoral administration that's leaving, is one that does not tolerate or even recognize that dissent. And it's it's harmful. I think it's harmful for our democracy, which is harmful for the residents of the people of Chicago. When you talk about process and that you're a process person and you view uh, the way uh, big time deals in Chicago are processed, like the Lincoln Yards deal, one point, again, folks, $1.3 billion of your property taxes going uh, to uh, subsidize, underwrite, and upscale development in an already gentrifying area, I have to point this out, while so many other communities in Chicago are starving. So when you see the process that resulted in that Lincoln Yards, what do you think has to be changed if Chicago is going to be more astutely uh, spending its money? 
Um, some, some big things that were red flags to me through the process for Lincoln Yards. One, I think it's been seven months uh, from introduction to where it's at now, looking like it's going to sail through with approval. It's in a seven-month time period that's at the end of a mayoral administration. We know it's on the way out in the middle of an election year where we know there's going to be a lot of changeover. Um, so those are some, some concerns, right? Why are we letting people who won't be around to be held accountable necessarily for the impacts of these decisions push them through? Um, some bigger things that I think that community members, uh, neighboring aldermen, resident advocacy groups um, have raised are big concerns over environmental impacts. Is seven months enough time to have had full studies? Um, you know, we've got affordable housing requirements. There's so many parts of this, and there's no reason when so many public dollars are on the table, not to mention intense long-term public impact um, on our river, on our waterways, on our green space, on our environment, um, and on our infrastructure, that we should only take seven months and go through what feels like uh, a deal being pushed down our throats, similar to the parking meter deal. Uh, by the way, I should point out to people that the vote was on a zoning end, end of the deal. So the final uh, TIF deal has not been approved. The zoning has been approved. I guess they're going to wait until the April. Uh, I'm not quite sure when they're going to bring it back, but it may be April uh, that it comes back uh, for a vote, the final deal. So there's a, both can and Merrill candidates are on the record uh, being against the deal in its current incarnation. So maybe... Uh, Maria Haddon, they can force uh, a change in that before it's finalized. It's all said and done. We'll have to watch. But anyway, that vote on the zoning deal was 33 to 15. Uh, another vote that came before the city council today had to do with the police academy, mm -hmm. where the city is going to spend uh, $95 million. I think that's what it is. That's what they say at the moment anyway, to build a new police training academy uh, on the west side in the, the 37th ward. I presume you were op opposed to that deal as well. Correct. I was uh, uh, definitely an advocate of the No Cop Academy protesters and believe that that's another um, process mm -hmm. that that has gone sorely wrong. A lot of discussion through the campaign and, and I know definitely in the press um, is focused on the um, Chicago's debt obligations, right? A lot about our fiscal health, our debt obligations, some of my uh, personal opposition to the, the you know, police academy, um, this training academy has to do with the, the finite situation of our finances and, and what these priorities and trade-offs are. In the 49th Ward in particular, we've got a, a, a significant amount of infrastructure needs, um, not just for our, our CTA, um, but for our schools, right, for our roads. There's major water, uh, waterway and sewer work that's being done. Um, we're just one ward of 50 in, in the city. Um, I believe that when residents, so particularly a lot of the No Cop Academy movement people, a lot of young black and brown youth around our city who have mobilized around this, when, when their voices are saying, hey, this feels like injustice, right? Mm. In this time, over these last few years, it feels like an injustice to prioritize spending on this infrastructure you know, in the aftermath of school closings, in the aftermath of mental health clinic closings, um, we've got Lakeshore Drive falling apart. Uh, I think I saw Alderwoman uh, Susan Sadlowski Garza commented about the bridges falling apart in Southeast Chicago. So uh, there's no shortage of needs and ways that we can spend our money. And again, this process throughout throughout this last year has been telling these young people, telling people in the neighborhoods, telling 
all these residents that their voices don't matter, that their dissent um, is not valid. Um, they're being arrested in the viewing gallery, right? Um, kept out of council chambers. And um, while I didn't go to City Hall today, I was present, I believe it was um, maybe six or seven months ago um, during one of the last um, uh, kind of big demonstration uh, that happened in City Hall. And it was painful, like physically painful, to see um, residents in this city being treated with such disdain and, and disrespect. Um, and when it gets to the process of what does Chicago need to be a healthy functioning city uh, and a healthy democracy, I reflect a lot on how much we need a change in the people um, and how much we need to have a change in how we're treated. Because these are young people maturing in this time, some of them not even old enough to vote. And this is the experience of democracy that they're receiving. I get my guess is Maria Haddon, newly elected alderman from the 49th Ward. That's the 49th Ward up north in the city of Chicago, Rogers Park area, just south of Evanston, just east of Lake Michigan. Come on, excuse me, west of Lake Michigan. A <laughs> uh, little uh, geography lesson there. All right, now, Maria, in response to uh, uh, the, um, the, the protest over the No Cap Academy vote, there was an alderman from the 24th Ward who made this comment. Michael Chandler's, uh, not Michael Chandler, uh, Michael Scott uh, made this uh, assertion the, at a meeting not too long ago. And he said this. Uh, he said that uh, Alderman uh, Emma Mitz, Alderwoman Emma Mitz, was a proponent of the police academy. It's in her ward. And uh, she proposed it before the election. There was an election when her opponent was running against the police academy. And the people of that ward voted, I think, I forget, over 50% to reelect Emma Mitz. Therefore, the people in the ward have spoken, and they want the police academy. And so we, as members of the Chicago City Council, should go along with the vote of the people of the ward. When you hear Michael Scott say that, what's your response? I'm happy that the people, the people in Alderman Mitz ward um, believe that she's a good representative and that that's, I think, a valid demonstration of support of that alderman and support of the, the initiatives that she's putting forward. And also, she's a member of Chicago City Council and a representative of all the people of Chicago. And the, this police and fire academy is not something that's just servicing members and residents in her ward. We're talking about long-term public investments for public service for all of Chicago. And that's where I think some of the uh, pitfalls of the aldermanic prerogative um, get in the way of us being able to make good decisions for all of Chicago, mm -hmm. for for the whole city. Um, you know, so I'm I'm glad that that should that should be a consideration, right? Like, hey, do people want that project there? And also, it can't be the it can't be the end all be all of whether we move forward with something or not. And frankly, I think it's used as a shield by the mayor um, and other folks who want to move this forward. Of, oh well, she wants it, so she can have it. Yeah, uh, automatic prerogative. That's uh, an uh, issue that's talked about a lot these days. It's it's interesting that's become sort of like a forefront issue uh, in the city of Chicago. I would say definitely four years ago, nobody was talking about it. Somehow or other, uh, that has emerged as an important issue. Uh, you defeated a, a veteran uh, of the city council, Joe Moore. He's been around since 1991. Isn't that a long time? Uh, he's was been ten. What's that? <laughs> She was 10, man. She was 10. How old were you, Ben, in 1991? Uh, I think I was 69. Oh, in wow. <laughs> uh, I remember, I'm, this is how old I am, Maria Hatton. I remember when Joe Moore was a kid and the 
Corporation Council. And he was real friendly. Hi, I'm Joe. He had like nice cheeks and everything. And, he's a friendly guy. Uh, he's a friendly guy. He was really liberal in those days, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but he's a very liberal guy. He was working for Harold Washington. <laughs> anyway, we change over time. Some of us, some people don't change that much. Uh, but uh, so the argument that uh, an old, a veteran like a Joe Moore or a Pat, Patrick O'Connor or Ed Burke uh, would make is that you want an experienced veteran alderman because they know how to get things done and, you know, move the, the levers in City Hall, etc. You don't want to bring a rookie in. Uh, you had to deal with that uh, when you were running for office. How did you address that issue when voters would say, well, why should I uh, elect a kid, a relative kid, uh, when I have this vet? It's, it certainly was a, a, a question and a valid one. Um, probably at almost every meet and greet or, or town hall were folks who were generally supportive of what I had to say, liked me still, you know, I had some candid conversation with people of, you know, are we going to lose anything, right? Are we, you know, losing this person? So one, I, I wasn't unexperienced in working with local government and especially in Chicago. So my last 10 years of work have been in the nonprofit field, but specifically working with aldermen and city uh, agencies in Chicago and um, local governments around the country uh, to help people build these civic engagement processes. So I, I had existing knowledge and relationships and was able to demonstrate that. And also, um, frankly, there wasn't that much at risk um, in, in changing over. And then I think some of the arguments coming from Alderman Moore's campaign um, were, hey, if you, if you lose me, you'll lose my staff. And that was the best thing he had uh, going. And so enough people that, that I talked with felt like it was worth a risk and even a benefit to have somebody who wasn't a veteran alderman, because frankly, I've only been here for 15, but a lot of my critiques of where we are in Chicago have happened over the last 30 years. In the last 30 years, we've had people in city council who are um, just passing the buck, um, not being accountable, not taking responsibility for some of the biggest issues that are plaguing residents in Chicago. And definitely, um, Joe Moore has said in some of his communications that he feels he's kind of the victim of change for the sake of change. And I would argue that people in the 49th Ward, they voted for change specifically because they don't like the way business is done in Chicago City Council and they want something different. Maria, when you consider your victory, do you put yourself like in the same sort of category of like, say, uh, Congresswoman uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez from New York, uh, the new wave of uh, Democrats who were ushered in in November. I've lost track of time for a moment, Maria. It seems a long time. Yeah, it just seems like so much has happened since then. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you see it as a separate thing, or do you think you're part of a greater wave? Uh, I'll give you a third answer. Okay. Uh, I think it's a, I think <laughs> um, I'm benefiting from some of the same conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that was really clear to me, um, I, I'm a... I'm a good neighbor. I've been in my ward for, for 12 years. I know a lot of people. I wasn't starting from scratch. Um, I teach and consult community engagement for a living. I had some great skills coming in that allowed me to put together a great team, and I benefited from good advice that I took, <laughs> which is key, um, to build the campaign. And I was the right candidate for my community. And also, all those things being true, we are in a national moment 
where people are really questioning things. And that's where the similarities are, right? So while there might be different platforms, certainly there are different scales of race. You know, I'm running in one of the most compact wards in our city, um, which was no small feat, but it's not the same as running for Congress. But what I think we're seeing people say when they're voting for, for candidates like us is what's, what we have right now is not working doesn't make sense to keep trying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's give this next generation a chance. Uh, and do you feel a pressure on you as you uh, head oh, in? Oh, yes. Talk about that. Oh, so much pressure. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a positive way. Um, in the decision-making process of whether to run and, and what that would look like, I felt very confident um, that I could do a good job. So that that's not the pressure I feel. Um but through the campaign, we, um, we had great turnout for voters in the 49th Ward, despite some of the lower turnout overall in the city. And a lot of that was due to we engaged people who were not normally engaged. We got people who came out to vote. I had people volunteering on my campaign who couldn't vote, um, whether that was young people, um, undocumented folks, um, lots of people who had never volunteered on any kind of political campaign before. And so much of that was because people were hopeful. We kept things positive. We made it fun. Um, I tried to demystify this process of running for office, and that was a big goal um, that my team and I accomplished. Um, and people had hope. Um, they had hope for something different in Chicago City Council, and that came with some pressure. And then, of course, amongst the field, of other new candidates like me, um, there was also uh, you know having an opportunity to have a head-to-head that was kind of like a a bellwether race, if you will, against the 28-year standard incumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, even amongst my peers, there was some pressure of Maria. You have to do this, right? If you can't do it, nobody can. There's so many things going for you in this race, and so uh, there was a lot of pressure for that through the campaign. Um, and now going into city council, um, especially seeing um, what the exiting administration is leaving, mm-hmm. I feel a tremendous amount of pressure to to maintain that and to help to um, usher in this next generation of our of our voters and our residents into believing that it can be different, right? Carrying over that same feeling from the campaign and the 49th Ward and bringing that to other folks in the city. Her name is Maria Haddon. She's the newly elected alderwoman of the 49th Ward. She's hugging my next guest. That doesn't often happen on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Amara <laughs> Enya has walked into the room. Clearly, these two are friends. Uh, maybe I could twist Maria's arm into sticking around for a little while to be part of the conversation uh, when we return after this. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read The Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. 
Hey, everybody, join the Chicago Sun-Times in one of our upcoming Hear Our Voice community forums. That's right, Hear Our Voice community forums and take that deep dive into Chicago politics. In conjunction with our partner, AARP, these conversations are your chance to learn more. Oh, I love more. AARP. <laughs> You're no too way. young. You're too young. Man, everybody, if you take the age of everybody in this room other than me and add it together, you're still not old enough to be an AARP. Anyway. We've even invited mayoral candidates Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle to join us as active listeners attending the forums to better understand your opinions and hear your voice. The first forum is tonight, tonight, Wednesday, March 13th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the DuSable Museum of African American History in Hyde Park. And I invite each and every one of you to join this conversation with a great lineup of panelists, including Mary Mitchell and Mark Brown from the Sun-Times, Rosanna Marquez from AARP, and Mays Jackson. Yeah, the Mays Jackson. No way. From, yeah, the Mays Jackson. When you see Mays, tell him Ben says hi. And he'll go, who? Uh, who? <laughs> <laughs> I knew Mays Jackson before he's Mays Jackson. Anyway, the second forum is Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen. and features panelists Mark Brown from the Sun-Times, Rosanna Marquez from AARP, and Fernando Diaz from the Chicago Reporter. I knew him. Years ago as well, you tell him Ben said hi, I'll go, hey, hey, Ben. Best of all, you'll love this, Dennis. What? These events are free. Oh, free, yeah, F-R-E. Yeah. I'm cheap, I get you, it. You yeah, know what awesome. that means? That's it doesn't awesome. cost money. Yeah. yeah all right. <laughs> For sign-up details, go to suntimes.com. All right, commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, Ben Jarofsky here in my beautiful Sun-Times studio. Amara Enya has walked into the room. Maria had not twisted her arm. She said, all right, I'll stay, but I'm busy. I got to go places in a little while, but I'll stay for a little while because I love Amara Enya. Amara, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here. Yes, yeah, so my, my life has been a bit of a journey uh, since the last time. Your <laughs> you life and me both. Is, yeah, the two of us. Uh, of course, Amara was a candidate for mayor. And did not make it to uh, the next round. Uh, what was that like, Mar? Just talk about, reflect a little bit about, uh, you know, thoughts and feelings in the aftermath of the campaign. Well, I mean, it was a, it was a lot to think about. I mean, you put your whole heart and soul into a thing, and we had what our ideal outcome would have been, which would have been definitely to get into the runoff. But at the same time, we really did something amazing. Um, we, I think, our campaign really pushed the narrative in the the election cycle in terms of the stances that we took on policy issues. We really led on the issues and got other campaigns to start to echo what we were talking about. Um, we definitely outperformed relative to spending. Um, most of the folks who finished in, above us spent two, three, four, five times as much as we did. And some of the ones who finished below us spent also three, four, and five times as much money as we did. So we ran the kind of campaign that really energized people, that influenced the, the conversations, um, that led in terms of the visionary thinking that Chicago needs. And we also ran a campaign with integrity. Um, we didn't get into a lot of mudslinging and getting into the dirt. We had our reputation in intact. It was a positive campaign that people could feel good about. And I think that's what, for me, the takeaway is that we 
um, not only had progressive policies, but also we had progressive tactics. And I think that differentiates us from the rest of the field. Progressive policies and progressive tactics. Before we get into the policies, Maria and I were talking briefly about that. We'll get into all more progressive policy issues. Let's talk about progressive tax- tactics for a moment. Uh, at the moment, Tony Perkwinkle and Lori Lightfoot are getting down in the mud a little bit here. Yeah. You know, uh, their fists are flying. Uh, and uh, so when you look at what they're doing, uh, do you think that as a positive impact on the, 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 the city of Chicago? Do you think uh, that are, they're dragging us down? Do you wish they were going in a different direction? Or are you just a realist and think, well, that's just how you have to play uh, politics? You know? I certainly don't buy into that that's just how you have to play politics. I think that we can say what we want about what needs to change in the city, but we also should model that uh, in how we campaign. I think how you campaign is also a testament to your character in many instances. And so I would like to see the focus be on the issues. What the people of the city deserve is what is your vision and what is your plan that will tangibly affect my quality of life? What are you offering? Not so much what the other person didn't do or trying to attack the other person, but why do we vote for you? Why should we entrust the future of this city in your hands at this moment? I think that's what they should be focused on. With turnout being what it is, I don't think that we can afford to have so much negative campaigning because it actually dissuades people from even getting involved or coming out to vote. And I think both campaigns really should take that into account. Well, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think actually, uh, to the heart of what you're just saying, I don't think either campaign at this stage is worried about the overall state of democracy in the city of Chicago and getting more people to vote. I think what they're worried, what they want to do is deter other people from voting who would not vote for their candidate. Do you understand right. what I just told you? I, I, so totally. that's why you ripped and the <laughs> other one, you know. Uh, that's what's going on. And now having said all that, um, when you view the two candidates, have you made an endorsement yet? I, if you have, no. I just, okay. When you view, you spent uh, six months listening or four months, whatever it was, listening to Tony Perkwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. And mm-hmm. now you've had, you know, a couple weeks uh, post uh, first round to hear them. Uh What's your sort of sense of where Lori Lightfoot and Tony Pricklink will take the city of Chicago? Well, things would be different, I guess. I, it's hard to, it's hard because, you know, track record matters. Mm-hmm. And the need for change matters. And so when I was campaigning, we knew that the establishment just simply cannot, the status quo had to be changed. Like we knew we couldn't continue down the same path. And so you do have a candidate who comes out of that establishment, who for all intents and purposes represents that establishment, but also track record really matters to me and to be vocal on the issues that we care about prior to election time is very important because it's a testament of what that person will do once they become elected and so we have on the other hand a candidate who doesn't really have the tangible track record on progressive issues and that's just what it is it doesn't take away from their professional um, accomplishments or the fact that they're both brilliant uh, women brilliant black women who have rose to have risen to the top of their careers but the testament of what someone will do when they get in office can only be determined by what they've done in the past, the, the, the decisions that they've made in the past, and what they've decided to be vocal and to speak up and act upon prior to election time. And so it's, it's unclear to me, at least. Um, but we have to be hopeful. And I think our responsibility is to make sure that we 
support and assist and make the city better in the ways that we can and also to make sure that we hold whomever occupies the fifth floor accountable for the things that they commit to during this during this campaign. Uh, and I presume you didn't name names, so I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'm going to ask, put it in the form of a question. The candidate who has no track record that you were alluding to, was that Lori Lightfoot? Yes, and by track record, I mean if you're claiming the, the progressive mantle and, you know, there it could be anything, housing, economic investment, police accountability prior to Laquan McDonald, um, um, education. There are so many issues over the last many years that you, we had to be vocal. We had to stand up. Uh, we had to make a statement in this city. So there are a whole host of opportunities to echo or to say the things that needed to be said, to call out what's happening, to speak truth to power. And so for me, I look at that kind of track record as a testament to what someone would do when they get elected. All right. I'm going to bring Maria Haddon into this conversation uh, right here. Maria uh, is, of course, the newly elected alderwoman of the 49th Ward. Uh, Maria, when you heard what Amara said uh, regarding the lack of a track record uh, in taking strong uh, stance on progressive issues, uh, from uh, alluding to Lori Lightfoot there. Uh, does that give you concern about Lori Lightfoot? Does that make you want to endorse Tony Preckwinkle ahead of Lori Lightfoot? Or do you have concerns about both candidates? Um, I'll speak very carefully mm-hmm. here. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Things that I'm really excited about, and this hasn't changed from election night, um, on, on election night, next to me winning, the thing that was most exciting to me was the two candidates, well, rather, the lack of a daily in the runoff. <laughs> I, was, those were, <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, that was a beautiful I'm, thing. <laughs> I'm an optimistic person. Um, I'm hopeful that especially, it's not just the, the race that these two face now, but also, as Amara was saying, the, the February 26th election, the host of candidates they had to work to differentiate themselves from. I think that, especially with candidates like Amara, both of their platforms have moved further to the left and more progressive. I like a lot of the things they're both saying. I Frankly, um, my ward is split. Um, 49th Ward voters are, are pretty evenly split in, in who, they, who they voted for in the 26th. Um, I've opted, um, actually from the beginning, I've decided I was not going to endorse a mayoral candidate because part of my platform is being an independent alderman. And so that's, that's where I was before February 26th. It's where I am now. I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful for whoever occupies the fifth floor that they're two, you know, that the two people that we have the possibility of having are, I'm looking for someone who treats the residents of the city of Chicago um, much differently. Um, you know, as I talked about earlier, uh, how we treat one another, the examples we set through the, the things that we do and how we do them is of, of ultimate importance, and I think especially in setting the tone. So, hopeful. All right. She, uh, Maria had, as she said earlier, specializes in conflict resolution. That was a beautifully articulated <laughs> answer that just avoided any kind of conflict. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Maria Hatton in the studio with Amara and you. When we come back, I'm going to talk to them. What? Uh, well, I think Maria has to go, but I'm going to ask Amara uh, what she thinks about how the press and the media in general uh, deals with political campaigns. She just emerged from one, so she's going to have a minute or two to think of a good answer. <laughs> Thank you for coming, Maria. I really appreciate it. Thanks I know I'm going to have you back. We'll be right back. Hey there. 
producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp, at C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of The Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Commercial break over. Welcome back to The Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Alderwoman Maria Haddon has left the building. She's left the building like Elvis. She's left the building. Hi, Maria. Uh, <laughs> Amara Enya is still here. And uh, so we'll continue our conversation with Amara. Amara, of course, ran for mayor in the last go-around. Uh, did not make it to the runoff. Uh, but uh, uh, cer- certainly she was the first choice for a people, I would say, of the millennial persuasion, as I generally talk about uh, <laughs> uh, youngsters in the city of Chicago, and they were fired up about your campaign. Um, before we left, before we went to break, I wanted to ask you about the press coverage. Um, I know that when you're in the middle of a campaign, it's easy for candidates to think they're really getting the raw end of the deal. Uh, they're getting bad coverage, whatever. You're, when you're in the moment, uh, you could uh, really hate on the press, uh, understandably. Uh, you've had a, f- a week or so uh, to view things. Now, what's your sort of view uh, on the whole process dealing with the press and the media? Well, you know, I think that, you know, I never went in with sort of my eyes closed about media. Um, you know, I have a background in journalism, so I kind of knew what to expect. I think what happened is you had a lot of uh, reporting that drove the narrative instead of actually reporting the race as it were. Um, the way that we covered so-called front runners, I thought was a little bit um, lazy. 
especially just given the the way things were turning out in terms of the number, the percentage of undecided voters. And so it was almost as though, you know, we have to dig a little bit deeper to get to the stories that need to be told instead of just taking the easy stories that need to be told. I also think that the way that candidates are covered was very imbalanced. I mean, it seemed that uh, there was almost no scrutiny of some candidates and heightened scrutiny of others. Um, and that, I think, played out in terms of how uh, how people got to know who the candidates were. Um, to me, it's it's just more of, you know, there are easy stories that you can tell. Everyone can tell the story of the two front runners, right? The two so-called front runners. Everyone can tell sort of the obvious stories. But how do we actually tell the real stories? How do we dig a little bit deeper? And that's something I think that the media has to um, just, just be better about overall. When you say there was an imbalance, did you think uh, any particular candidate got a pass? Well, I think a lot of candidates, I mean, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on uh, Daly when he came in. I mean, there was this whole push for people to release their tax returns. A number of candidates didn't. And that sort of just flew under the radar. It wasn't covered for many of the candidates although it was covered for those who actually did. Um, I also think in terms of backstory, I mean, we had situations where people were calculating the the dates upon which I received many of the degrees that I have, which mm-hmm. was almost funny if it weren't so like, okay, guys, we, there's a lot that needs to be reported on. This isn't a top issue in the city, right? And so I just think that perhaps it could have been because there were so many candidates. I mean, with 14 candidates, it's just hard to cover everyone in a consistent way. But I also think it's just a testament to the press not having the kind of practice in covering a campaign in any way that makes sense. Um, And that could be just because you have 30 years of or 22 years of one mayor and then we had this eight year gap and now we've got 14 candidates in a race and figuring out how to cover a campaign of that nature um, in in a way that is that does it justice. It it can be a challenge to the to the credit of the press. Yeah, well, there's also you talk about driving the narrative uh, there's a narrative in the city of Chicago when it comes to, uh, well, any, any election, uh, mayoral in particular, we talked about this a little bit with Maria when she was a rookie, as a rookie running against a veteran, Joe Moore. But definitely with someone like you, the, the question that uh, almost every reporter in Chicago will want answered is, what makes you you little whippersnapper. In fact, I asked you this 2014, the first time I met you. Remember that? What yes. makes you think you could be the mayor of the city of Chicago? So, yes. I mean, isn't that kind of like a natural Chicago question? No, it's it's a legit question. It is a completely legitimate question. I mean, you want to know what is it that's driving the person who says they want to run in this city with all of the challenges that that they face. And so that's a legitimate question. I think, you know, you you want to know what drives the person because you also want to compare that to the policies and the vision that they have for the city. That's how voters can see, well, does this resonate with me or doesn't it? But if the narrative is kind of dominated simply by, well, these are the front runners and this poll is saying this, even though we all know that polls can say whatever we want them to say, then it does a and it does a disservice to both the residents of the city who deserve more thorough reporting and also to the candidates who have something to offer, something unique to offer that might actually connect with voters. All right. So uh, when you see uh, Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot emerge from uh, that, oh my God, that giant mud wrestling match (laughs) that was the first round, uh, do you feel that they are definitely articulating 
progressive views and attitudes about how we divide up the pie, how we raise our money you know, more fairly and more equitably, more progressively. Do you think we're actually heading in that direction? Do you think that's the lessons that they have taken from this campaign? I think it gets overshadowed by the other stuff. I think it gets overshadowed by the jabs and the attempted mudslinging, um, which is unfortunate. We can go to their websites and they've got it laid out, right? To their credit, they've laid out plans on their website. Um, but again, for people who are paying attention to this election, the differentiating factor should be on substance, not on sort of petty jabs and who can, you know, who can hit the other person or who can attack the other person. All right. Well, let me then, then rephrase the question this way. Uh, I don't believe there's that much difference in the policies of Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle in reality. And I've watched each of them evolve to where they were. Cause I interviewed all of them mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. I watched where they were like the Lincoln yard questions and how they handle answer those nine months ago, Amara, and how they're answering them now. So yep. it's a bit of an evolution. I welcome the evolution, sure. but I'm just pointing out the thing was evolving, <laughs> right? Sort of like Obama and his attitude toward gay marriage yeah. it evolved. Uh, so um, there is this evolution that they're going through and there's not really that much difference. So if there's really not that much difference on a policy question, isn't it fair then to judge them by sort of like the character issues? Like, is uh, Lori a cop? Does she have really in her heart of hearts interests of normal working people in the city of Chicago? Is she an unfeeling corporate lawyer? Or is Tony Preckwinkle just a Democratic hack who just goes along uh, with the powers that be just to get elected to the next office in her electric college? Don't you think those are legitimate questions? Well, it's, it speaks to what I was referencing earlier when I talk about track record. And the best judge that people have to determine character is on their previous um, behavior, previous stances on issues, previous what they've said or not said, right? Because again, there have been so many things that have happened in this city over the last many years that we needed strong voices. And we need strong voices, even if you're not in a position of power, but at least to be vocal on these issues, especially when we're talking about equity, we're talking about justice, we're talking about how the city operates. So the past, the, the track record is what will tell you is it's the the strongest predictor that we have of what they will do and so again the dynamic right now is that you have this desire for change what i know in my campaigning is that people want change they do not want uh the same thing they're they're looking for something different the question is what does that change look like and is it substantive change not just changing who's in the mayor's office because we're going to get that change in a drastic way right but what does it look like substantively do we have someone who understands the neighborhoods and is willing to speak up on behalf of the neighborhoods, not just in rhetoric, but actually in policy? Do we have an individual who's cared about the most marginalized? Do we have an individual who called out corruption prior to the Burke scandal blowing up um, a few months ago? If you didn't say anything about it before, then what is the what is the what gives us the confidence that corruption will continue to be rooted out after you're in office. So I think it's fair game to look at people's um, track records and backgrounds. And I also don't think that it's quite fair to reduce people down to one-liners either. So I don't know that, you know, reducing Lori Lightfoot and all that she's accomplished in her career to a cop is not really fair fair to her as a person, as a professional, as someone who's accomplished, as someone who's done many things and has done some, some great things over her career. And reducing President Preckwinkle to uh, a machine hack, 
I mean, that's a disservice to her record as someone who's beat incredible odds to advance in her career uh, in politics in Chicago of all places. So these are multidimensional people that that we're talking about. And I always keep that in mind because I don't like being reduced to, you know, something that's one dimensional either. Well, when you heard uh, the effort by the Prokwinkle people to uh, reduce uh, Lori Lightfoot to a corporate lawyer, uh, you know, she's a corporate lawyer. Uh, I know how Lori Lightfoot has responded to that, but you you have many degrees. You have a lot of education. Mm-hmm. You've got more education in you than everybody in this room <laughs> <laughs> added up. Uh, so what's your response when you hear that that attack, uh, that particular attack on Lori Lightfoot? Well, you know, it, it's 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 not, to me, it's not, the strong like there are many things you can you can you can look at or you can highlight about things that she's done in her career that could be seen as problematic, especially as we think about the environment between the relationship between police and community and what it means when when police officers don't get what people feel they deserve, such as in the case of Laquan McDonald and the 81 month sentence of the officer. Like there are many legitimate critiques that you can have of what she's done in her career, but to critique her for what she has chosen, the career path she has chosen, I think is, I think that it's wrong um, because does that make every corporate lawyer evil? Um, I remember getting, uh, getting critiques for having worked in the nonprofit sector and someone saying that uh, it's the nonprofit industrial complex or whatever. And I said, oh, so everyone who's working in a nonprofit is somehow wrong because they chose a career. Their people should have agency to determine how they want to use their gifts, talents, and skills. And if that's as a corporate lawyer or if that's as a politician or if that's as a teacher, we should not demonize them because they have agency, especially in a space where so many people don't even get the opportunity to choose their careers. I think it's very, uh, to me, that's that's very bothersome, and it's not a fair critique. Now, you can critique what they choose to do in their career. If you are uh, working for colleges and, and swindling universities so that you can get your wealthy kids into a college, like, that's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. That is harmful. That's wrong. Yeah. But to demonize people because they chose a career path that you don't think is honorable, I don't think that that's a legitimate critique. All right. I have to ask you about this one. This is on the front page of Today's Sun-Times, uh, there's a, a feud that has erupted between uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who was on the show just last week from the 35th Ward, and Alderman Nick Spazzato, who represents the 38th Ward on the northwest side of Chicago. Nick Spazzato is per- perhaps the most conservative uh, alderman in the city, of, in, in social issues, I should say. Mm-hmm. He's actually kind of good on union issues, mm-hmm. but he's very conservative on uh, social issues. And uh, he was part of a group of firefighters, he's a former firefighter, uh, who endorsed Lori Lightfoot. And Carlos, and the, who's a supporter of Preckwinkle, has said that the um, Lori Lightfoot campaign should denounce uh, Spazzato and turn back his endorsement, reject his endorsement. <laughs> you went down this road, we talked about this for a long time, when you got Kanye West's endorsement, and he, Kanye of the MAGA hat, and, and he gave you a campaign contribution. As you recall, my uh-huh. advice to you is take the money <laughs> and tell Kanye to take off the hat. All right? That was my advice. And you saw he did change his tune after he came out and said he actually didn't support Chen's policies. He did that maybe a month or so after, after he helped the campaign. He listens to the show and it's like, Ben said that. So, uh, all right. So, when you see this spat uh, erupting, do you think that Carlos is right and uh, that uh, Lori Lightfoot should reject Nick Spazzato? Or how do you view this? Well, I mean, you know, the whole the endorsement thing is it's it really depends for me whenever we had an endorsement decision or an opportunity for an endorsement, it was always 
are they aligned with our key values and the things that we've talked about? Is there record of them actually believing in the things that we believe in? Is there some common ground upon which we agree? Uh, where it was sticky, it's, okay, what am I not willing to endorse? What am I not willing to support? So you have to do the analysis, I think, on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. And so for all of our endorsements, I always went through that entire process before saying, okay, this is something that we're okay with. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting is when with the whole Kanye piece supporting our campaign, there was critique from everyone's campaign, including Lori Lightfoot's campaign about, well, he's, you know, we didn't want the meeting with him and, you know, critiquing it months ago. And now all of a sudden, you know, you accept the Willie Wilson's endorsement, who's a Trump and Ronner supporter. And now you're accepting, you know, so it's (laughs) so you see this sort of inconsistency. And to me, it's okay. Just say you're going to take it on a case by case basis. Like, Every endorsement that I that I receive, I've got to be able to answer that question. And if I know I can answer that question and it doesn't it doesn't corrode or impede upon my core values, then I will stand upright on the perpendicular and answer the question and defend it. And if you can't defend it fully, then mm, now you have to question whether your values are are questionable. That's Amara Enya. I'm Ben Jarofsky. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us Man, home. I don't know where you found that music, but I just love that piano, Mar. Every time it's like, oh. I like it. It feels good. It feels good, yeah. doesn't it? It's just in the music library. <laughs> we have a little uh, keyboard there in the corner, Mar. If you just want to s- sit, sit down and just pick up a little bit. I can try. <laughs> she does everything else, speaks like eight languages. Uh, that was the other thing. They go, she doesn't really speak the eight languages. <laughs> oh, they didn't see our uh, commercial that came out. We had a Spanish language commercial that came out. Uh, Maybe I should have done a French one, too. Yeah, do the French one. I, I, that was uh, <laughs> my dear friend, the great Karen Lewis. Uh, she has the ability to, like, to go off into different languages, and every now and then when she wants to show you how smart she is, <laughs> start speaking to you in French, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Amara, Anya, uh, the question for you at the moment is, uh, 
We're in the bonus segment of our show, by the way, I should say. When you get Amar Enya in the studio, you go over a little bit because <laughs> it's a podcast, so you can go over a little bit. Uh, what's next for you, Amara? So the biggest thing for me is to make sure, at least in the runoff time frame, that the issues that we advance, that I advance in my campaign are still lifted up, that uh, we see where the candidates stand on the biggest things that we talked about and that I spent my time campaigning on. And then the work really is with whomever occupies the fifth floor, we've got to hold that person accountable. Mm-hmm. And so we have a whole army of folks who are who are revved up, who are ready to be active and engaged, to push policy and advocate on the issues, and to hold the next mayor accountable. So that's the big thing. And also, um, I'm working on an initiative with aldermen. Actually, because in city council, we're getting new aldermen, and we cannot assume that they know everything there is to know about operating the city when they get in office. And so what we've created, and I've actually worked on this for a few years, is it's sort of like a 101 institute for uh, people in city council, budgeting 101, zoning 101, TIF 101. These are the things that they have to understand if we're entrusting them with a $9 billion plus budget. They've got to be already getting used to making these decisions and knowing what they're talking about. That doesn't exist right now in city council. So being able to construct that institute and also a cadre of individuals that can help aldermen with research, data analysis, legislative processes, they don't have those resources now. So I want to turn much of my attention to building the capacity of aldermen so that we can have the kind of strong council that's empowered and confident to be able to make independent decisions that actually are in the interest of their constituents. All right, well, and that's needed now more than ever. Uh, a little while ago, they voted 33 to 15 to approve the zoning on the Lincoln Yards deal. Yep. And that's the big TIF deal I keep talking about. And not once, talk about process uh, and talking about w- answering the questions that you need to know before you embark on such a venture, Amara. Not once at, throughout this entire process has anybody asked, much less answered, the most significant question. And that is, how will that $1.3 billion investment of public monies into that area impact our schools? Yep. Our police, mm-hmm. our fire, Services. will we be able to pay yeah. uh, the all the applications we have for pensions? We'll be able to borrow money to do all the other infrastructure needs that Mar- Maria Haddon was talking about, like in her ward. Yep. Got these pictures of these bridges that are falling down, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Not once have they, you know, they talk about like, uh, how tall is this building? Mm-hmm. Should we lower it a mm-hmm. floor or two? Should we allow a music venue in mm-hmm. there? You know, uh, is there? A, should we have one or two more acres of park? But no one ever talks about what you're. It's so they haven't had a legitimate vote on that particular issue. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we're talking about. That's what I'm concerned with. Aldermen are entrusted to make these significant decisions that will affect our quality of life. And you have to wonder the the expertise that they have to even understand the impact of the decisions that they're making. So for me, if we're not in office, we have to build capacity of those who are in office. We have to support them. We have to make sure they have the data, the information. And quite honestly, it's in their own best interest to understand the implications of zoning laws and zoning regulations and how they affect their ward. You've got to understand TIFs from top to bottom. You can't come in being ignorant of how TIFs work and how they should be working in your ward. And that's a lot of what we see happening. So I think getting a new mayor and getting new aldermen and alderwomen is an opportunity for us to now build out the capacity of city council so that they are much more informed, more educated, 
more independent and more confident to actually vote in a way that makes sense and that's actually in favor of their constituents and not just voting based upon some of the things that you just outlined. All right, now let me ask you this. It seems as though you're being very generous to the autumn of the Chicago City Council. <laughs> you seem to be giving them the benefit of the doubt and suggesting that the reason why they make the votes they do is that they just don't understand the total uh, <laughs> picture. Maybe they're a little ignorant about the, you know, the ins and the outs, the complexities of some of these deals. Someone might suggest, like, oh, me, <laughs> that they're just, they kind of know what's going on, but they choose to venture on this path because they do whatever they're told. And in this case, it's, you know, the least amount of resistance is to go along with the man, do what yes. the mayor says. So they do what the mayor says. They read his talking <laughs> points. So it's not a question of educating them. It's a question of getting them to realize that maybe it's in their best interest uh, to act differently. What do you think? Thoughts on that? Well, the, 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 the key is to, we're trying to create a new culture. And the first thing about creating a new culture is getting new people. We will for sure have a new mayor. And I'm confident that between that, regardless of which one it is, that's a huge difference. It's a difference in approach to leadership. Uh, we will have new aldermen coming in and we've got folks like Maria who've been doing this work, who understand this work and who can set an example just by virtue of being on the council. So they can be an example of what a good alderman should look like. And so now we're creating the infrastructure to support that new culture that we want, which is aldermen that actually show up for their committee meetings, aldermen that actually understand the basis of these issues um, and that have the confidence to vote in their the interests of their ward. A lot of going along with the get along is just a lack of confidence. If you don't understand the budget, if you don't understand municipal finance, then you're not going to step out or stick your neck out. You're going to go along with where it looks like most people are going. So we're trying to build that confidence by making them much more informed and supporting them because it's easy to attack them. But to say, hey, we can help you build your infrastructure. We can help you understand these processes better. That's also something that I think is a productive way of pushing them to do the right thing. You know, so much of your campaign, when I look back on it, I recall, uh, was uh, elevated by endorsement from Chance the Rapper. Mm -hmm. uh, what role do you think he's going to be playing in Chicago, Chicago politics as we head on into this new era? Well, I think he's going to play a role um, in Chicago, a significant role. I mean, this is someone who has uh, created an organization that's having a major impact in schools, uh, providing funding and training and opportunities for young people. He's someone who, even in the course of our campaign, uh, his team released a video that actually told people, what is, what is an audit? Yeah, what do they funny. do? And I think that should be required viewing for every person coming into city council. And perhaps we should have it in CPS as well. But he's already done so much to lift up the conversation, to lift up the issues he's been we actually connected because we've been in the trenches and in, in the organizing space and i think that will only continue moving forward we know that our how we connected was through this campaign but we both feel like this is a connection for life and that the work that we did on the campaign will only expand once these campaigns are over and as we're working and moving in chicago all right now before i let you go i have to ask about the next campaign that's beyond this campaign the one i'm sort of already thinking about uh and that is in, on april 2nd where we have our election here in chicago and then really the countdown begins uh toward the presidential race of 2020 yes uh do you have any sort of general thoughts about where the democrats are heading which candidates that you favor what are some of the trends that you see are you feeling the burn <laughs> <laughs> you were, 
Were you for Bernie last time? I can't remember. I was for Bernie. Was a Bernie supporter. All right. I was. I was certainly a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, right now, the Democratic field feels just as crazy as the mayoral field felt uh, with 14 candidates. They've got however many candidates, and so I think it's a little bit early to see who's sort of rising to the top. Now, I do know that Bernie Sanders has he got an early jump start. I mean, he's doing really well. Um, I know that there are other candidates in the field who is sort of left to be seen whether they can catch fire and continue on that course. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after April, once all of the all of this dies down and the tension is solely on the presidential and the, the federal races that are also going to be taking place, that we'll see the field thin out. Hopefully it, it thins out to less than 14. Oh my, no, I don't think it's going to thin out anytime <laughs> soon. I, there was just an article I saw, and I know the next time we come on, we'll be talking about this in greater detail. There was already an essay in the New York Times with some columnists saying that uh, Democrats should nominate Joe Biden. They should realize that all the people who are in the, currently running, he hasn't announced, by the way, yeah. but all the people who are currently running are too far left to beat Donald Trump a one-on-one. It's, I'm, I'm telling you what, Amara, I just hear the same old argument. I'm like, back in 2016, Hillary versus <laughs> yes. Bernie, and we should go with Joe Biden. Are you sensing that the Democrats are going to be struggling with these issues again? I think they will, and that's because I have not seen, over the last four years, they haven't been able to really secure a strong identity. They haven't really been able to bridge the gap that existed after the 2016 race. There's still a lot of bad blood, in my view, and still a lot of uh, just sort of disparate opinions as to where the party should go. Should it continue to be more centrist? Should they create space on the left to take on some of those more energized voters that uh, Bernie Sanders um, brought into the fold? I haven't seen enough of the healing that needs to take place. And now, I mean, we're seeing it play out right now with some of the freshman congressmen, Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib. Like, we're seeing these voices that are sort of popping up out of the sort of centrist, um, the centrist plateau of the Democratic Party. And I think that's going to play into what happens in terms of which candidates can get the energy to mount the kind of um, the, the kind of campaign against Donald Trump that we need if we're going to win. Wow. I, I just had this vision when you said that Biden and uh, Ocasio-Cortez as a ticket. <laughs> of course, I don't know who would be wow. the president, who would be the vice president. Wow, what a ticket. What a ticket. Yeah, we just have to figure out again who's the VP yes. and who's the president. <laughs> anyway, Amara Anya, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I hope to bring you back uh, as the days unfold. All yes, right? anytime. All right, very good. also want to thank Tom McNamee, who was my guest at the one thirty hour. They had a Tommy Mack. Tommy <laughs> the pride of joy of Bogan High School. Uh, and, of course, Maria Haddon, who is uh, just on, the newly elected alderwoman from the 49th Ward in Rogers Park on the north side of the city of Chicago. Also got to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, behind the boards, wheeling and dealing, picking that button, pushing that button, and every now and then playing piano on those smooth transitions. Oh, yeah. He went to radio school, everybody. Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Not Aerosmith Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And the International Union of Operating Engineers. And, of course, thank you again to the Chicago Federation of Labor, See you tomorrow.